Take your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Man, we're starting a tough, intense series this morning. Something that many people struggle with, all of us think about, and the theme is this, spiritual warfare. So whether you stand among those who know Jesus, or whether you're searching for Jesus, or whether you're totally against Jesus, the reality is this is something not only that you deal with, but it's something our culture is somewhat consumed with as well is what is evil? How does it impact us? Who is Satan? What are demons, angels, those types of things? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, a lot of the stuff we're not going to be able to cover on a Sunday morning. It is a lot of material, and that's why we have our supplemental podcast called Deep and Wide. We publish it every Monday morning at 8 a.m., and so it'll be live tomorrow morning, and tomorrow morning we're going to be dealing with what are angels, where did, where did the devil come from, that kind of stuff, and really investigate some of that stuff that really are somewhat fascinating to some people. Uh, maybe they shouldn't be, and we'll deal with that. But here's the thing, as we walk through this over the next four or five weeks, I do this with fear and trembling. Fear because I don't want to mess up. I always do that. I'm always scared. I'm going to tell you the wrong thing, even though I've spent a lot of time preparing and praying and studying. The second thing is trembling because anytime I ever do a series, whether it be on parenting or marriage, and now we're doing spiritual warfare, I am personally and my family is personally attacked. So I would covet your prayers during the next four or five weeks. Does that sound good to you guys? I would really appreciate that. But this morning, we want to start at the beginning but we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 and really begin to understand what this whole spiritual attack, this, this, this thing we don't see specifically, how we define it biblically, how we look at it as far as, it, as we identify who Satan is, who demons are. We want to identify that biblically. Makes sense to everybody. Because there's two extremes I find what happens, especially as we're tempted or deal with hardship. And this is how typically people see spiritual attack. Number one, they deny anything spiritual about it. They use phrases like, it's a coincidence, right? They use ideas like, it is what it is. We use the ideas of things like the devil doesn't exist. Now the other extreme... The first one is we ignore it completely. The other extreme is to over-spiritualize stuff. We use phrases like, Satan's really after me today. And y'all ever thought that or said that? Where I'm being attacked. Everything's demonic. A lady came to me one time in a church I served at many, about 20-something years ago. She came up to me and she said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I was like, what's going on? Absolutely. Satan's really after me today. I said, what happened? Well, my Christmas tree fell over last night. (laughs) Maybe you didn't put it up right. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe your dog jumped on it. I don't know. So it's the over-spiritualization of things. You follow me on this? Now, there's a a happy medium. There's a place that we meet biblically. But I think C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors and one of the most profound theologians to ever live, specifically in my time, or before my time, right before in the 20th century, he said this. We will put this on the screen. He says, there are two equal and opposite eras into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both eras and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Isn't that good? There's two extremes there. 
Whether there's no belief, they love it. Whether there's the over-spiritualization and fear thereof, they love it. Because both give us, get us focused on the wrong things and off of Jesus. And so what we want to do this morning, keeping in mind that we want to fight for a biblical basis of all this, is to really understand how to prepare to fight these battles. You with me on that? Because every morning, I remember an old football coach got, a, got in front of the team one day, and he says there are two types of people in the world, lions or gazelles. I said, please explain. He says, lions wake up every morning in Africa saying, I've got to outrun the slowest gazelle in order to survive. And gazelles wake up every morning saying, I've got to outrun the fastest lion in order to survive. So whether, whatever you do, hit the ground running. And I think that's how we feel, spiritually speaking, right? Is that how do we engage in this battle? How do we see it for what it is? And how do we embrace it biblically? It is college football season, my favorite time of the year. The leaves are turning. You can feel the crispness in the air this week. Did y'all feel that? Isn't that may, I mean, I just went out and sang, Jesus, thank you so much. And then I found out this week it's going to be 90 again. <laughs> Curses. <laughs> and, you know, my favorite time of the year is college football season. I crank up my grill. I crank up my smoker. I crank up my Blackstone. I crank up my air fryer all at once. I put, I, get, I mean, this is the only Saturday I intentionally get up early in the morning to watch college game day. Any of y'all with me on that? And it plays all day long. I went to bed last night watching football. It is my time. Boil peanuts. Yes, Lord. You know what I'm getting at? But here's the deal. Anytime you watch a college football team or anything like that, any football team, any athlete, you see a game plan coming together on the field, but that game plan has been put together even a year ahead of time. They look at the players, they look at film, they study, they get in the weight room, they run plays, they draw up plays. Even in the offseason, they're working hard to perform for that four quarters on Saturday afternoon, right? And the thing is, most of us walk into the spiritual engagement with no preparation. We just walk in the door and said, let's roll. And that's not the way God has designed that to happen. So here's what we're going to try to answer this morning, and it's this simple question here. And this is going to be a little different than the typical messages we preach. Typically, we go to one text, and we stay there and tear it apart. This morning is not the case. But here's what we're going to ask, try to answer this morning. What or who are we fighting? Because you've got to identify the enemy in order to fight it correctly. Agreed? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go in just three verses. We're going to start in verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And he comes to the end of this book. And what's so beautiful about this book is it starts out with the first two and a half chapters dealing with theology. This is the bedrock truth. Then it gives a little prayer in chapter 3 for about 15 verses. And then he gives application. Does that make sense? So typically when you read scripture, we just read it like a book. And you need to do that. But here's the thing. As it's broken down, Paul gives you foundation. He prays for us. And then he says, this is what you do with it. Isn't that good? Now read this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, notice what he's saying here. He's not saying be strong in your gifts, be strong in your personality, be strong in your prayer life, be strong in your church attendance. All those are good things, right? But he's saying be strong in whom? The Lord. That's where your strength comes from. Now, there's a reason he writes this. Go to verse 11. He says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the what? 
devil's schemes. Now, we're going to be use this text as a launching point for the rest of this series. But he's saying, prepare yourselves for battle. Be strong in the Lord because the devil's schemes are very real. But then he goes on to verse 12, and this is our launching point this morning. For our struggle, and this is what I want you to get, our struggle. Now, I love that word struggle. It means our contest, our battle, our wrestling match, you know? This is not some passive struggle like, I struggle not to turn in when the hot donut sign is on. You know what I'm saying? That's not it. This is a fight. This is this bare-knuckle grip that you're hanging on for dear life not to fall off the cliff. You with me on that? That's the struggle. That's the getting up in the morning and running faster than the gazelle or faster than the lion, right? He says, our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. Now stop here. This is so beautiful. I want you to get this. Because most of us look at this life and the struggles that we have based upon circumstantial stuff that's happening around us and the things that we deal with day in and day out. You can look at the 24-hour talking heads on TV and find out what we struggle with when it pertains to flesh and blood. Whether it be the economy, whether it be inflation, whether it be gas prices, whether it be the fact that a gallon of milk is 10% more than it was last year, whether it be what's happening in the Ukraine, whether it be what's happening in Haiti currently, all that stuff, those are the results of verse 10, go back to it, I mean verse 11, the devil's schemes. You get that? That's the result. What we want to do is get before the equal sign there and deal with that struggle now go back to this verse for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but get this against the rulers against the authorities and against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that's your struggle that's it it manifests itself in the issues that we deal with but there's a front end to this problem. Now, for sake of time, I'm going to try to do this quickly. I want you to deal with that last part, the heavenly realms. That's what you don't see. You know, we know God exists, agreed? But we physically don't see him unless he chooses to reveal himself. But we see the manifestations or the results of his presence, whether it be in a sunset or whether it be in the wind blowing, right? We know he exists for what he's done inside of us. I, I remember a kid, as a kid, I'd sit in church in an old Southern Baptist church. We'd send these, sing this hymn, and hymns are so important, okay? I want to tell you that. We, we try to incorporate them in our services because they teach so much more than repeating the same verse over and over again. I'll get off that. But here's the deal. There's a little phrase that they used to say in one of those hymns. It says, you ask me how I know he lives because he lives inside of me. There's your evidence. You are the evidence if you know Jesus. Now, all that being said, how do we know who we're fighting? Well, let's put some identifying markers on it. Are y'all with me on that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Satan, and I hate dealing with that because the focus of this church and the focus of your life needs to be Jesus, period. But in order to identify what we're fighting, we need to know what we're, who we're fighting, right? So let's identify who Satan is, and let's start by saying what he can't do. Now, this is going to blow some of your minds, so get ready, because a lot of what we base our 
spiritual ideas of demons and Satan is based upon Dante's Inferno or based on literature written many, many years ago or projection or what you've seen on the movies. You with me on that? So this is not The Conjuring, okay? This is the Bible, so let's deal with it biblically. So let's think through a couple things that Satan cannot do. Guess what Satan can't do? He can't read your mind. You should take great satisfaction and joy in that. He has no idea what you're thinking right now. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's real good. But many of us have thought that before. Oh, I thought that before. You get it? He can't read your mind, man. Now, he's smart. He's a student, but he can't read your mind. Another thing Satan can't do, he can't tell the future. He's read the Bible. He knows how it ends. But he... He, he can't see what's going to happen. He's not above space and time like the Lord. Third thing. Now, this is one that's going to blow your mind. Come in close on this. I really want you to hear what I'm about to say. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. Only God is. So for you to come up, or for me to come up and say, man, Satan's really attacking me, then you must be somebody. (laughs) You are the real deal. (laughs) I mean, I only know one guy Satan just personally attacked. Jesus. Not say he doesn't do it, but the reality is, I don't want to burst your bubble because I know you're awesome. You probably ain't it. He can't be everywhere at once. Another one that you need to understand. If you know Jesus, he cannot what we call possess you. Now, you may act like a demon. You may smell like a demon. But if you know Jesus, he ain't coming in. You with me on that? We're tempted, we're influenced but we're not possessed. That's the beautiful thing about victory in Christ. The last thing, and this is what I want you to understand here. I want to camp out on this one just for a moment. He cannot defeat God. Now, if you read Scripture, you realize that. But I want to, I want to clarify what I mean by that because most of us, uh, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just make a sweeping generalization here. Most people in our culture, even in the church, have a Star Wars theology. Now, now hang with me on this. We believe that there is a dark side and a light side, right? There's Luke and there's Darth. And if we watch enough of that, we believe they stay in balance with each other, Right? And we picture this whole spiritual battle happening like yin and yang. Equal parts going against each other, and we hope God wins. Can I tell you that's one of the most unbiblical things to ever think of? It is not like that. It is all God, period. There is no threat. There is no even hint of defeat. God wins every time. And so to think that, man, I really hope God gets his way, guess what? He will. 
That is comforting to a believer. And so when we think through all this stuff, I want you to think of it this way. When I was uh, just graduated high school, 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, I, um, a huge tornado had come through our community. Um, and it went to a guy named Mr. Klein, that was his name, can't remember his first name, and it just devastated his home. Thankfully, it was his second home, so he had another place to live. And so he hired me as an 18-year-old, and he said, go over here, I want you to help me salvage all the lumber from this house. So I had to go to this house, and it had completely been obliterated, but some of it was, some of the walls were still standing. So I had a hammer and a crowbar, and I just went around knocking down walls and taking two-by-fours and putting them in a stack. Makes sense? Terrible. Awful. It was June, it was hot, there were bugs, I was sweating, and I didn't want to do this no more. You know what I mean? Y'all been there. I think everybody should have a job like that. So I'm beating, I'm, but I go up, I think it was the second day at work, I went up to the front steps, and there, and what was left of the front steps, and it was one of those little cement steps that you went to your grandma's house in, you know what I'm talking about? And there was a German shepherd, and he had to weigh 800 pounds sitting on top of this step. I mean, he was six foot long, you know, huge teeth, you get what I'm saying, at least it looked that way. And I walked up, and I walked, looked at him, and he looked at me, and he did one of those little looks. You know what I'm talking about? And it wasn't like, hey, come pet me. You know what I mean? It was bad. That thing leapt off the steps with this huge growl. And I'm, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, if I'm lying, I'm dying, guys. His, his jaw stopped with an inch from my nose. And I have run and I scream like a sixth grade schoolgirl around that yard, Mr. Klein, Mr. Klein, run all over this yard. Me and this, me and this dog went laps around an oak tree. He never got me. Mr. Klein came out behind the house. He grabbed the dog, pulled him off of me, and no. And for the rest of the time that I worked there, that dog sat in the corner and growled and looked at me and was like, I'm going to eat you. I'm going to kill you. You are kibbles and bits, Chip. You know, all that stuff. But Mr. Klein said, no. That is Satan. He is a dog on a leash. He can growl. He can snarl. If you get close enough, he can bite. But God has him on the leash. He has no power over you unless it's allowed by you or the Lord. You hear that? He's a dog on a leash. So what can he do? Colossians 2, verse 15 I love this. Put this on the screen here. When Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, it says, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's what this means. Is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus... Christ has disarmed Satan with his most deadly weapon. Do you know what that is? The ability to be not forgiven. Christ took that away from him. And then turned around and said, I forgive you. Here's what the gospel does, people is it takes away Satan's accusation to say you can't make it to heaven. He takes it away. 
He said, I've disarmed him. I have defeated him. I'm king. He's not. That's good news for you. If you're struggling with being forgiven, if you're struggling with your identity, if you realize that your righteous deeds aren't good enough to get to heaven, here's the deal. Good news. Christ was righteous for you. Christ disarmed Satan. He can no longer accuse you. And you, when you come to Christ, have a redemptive life. That's the good news. So you're struggling with that. That's the message of the gospel. Is that evil? All of his schemes have been defeated all at once. In fact, Satan uses Satan against Satan. Think through it for a moment. The Bible says that Satan entered Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus was betrayed, beaten, flogged, hung on a cross, died and rose from the dead, and killed Satan. Get it? He's the master, meaning Jesus. So, the question is, what can he do? He works with all of his might, all of his power, to do several things. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go back to that in verse 12. Notice what happens here. For we our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He works to influence and destroy God's plan. He, we wrestle. This is what we wrestle against. We wrestle with the originator of sin. That's what we wrestle against. He was the first one to do it. And his plan is to destroy us, take away our joy. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. That's what he seeks to do. In fact, we see two different words, really three different words for Satan in Scripture. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, we have the word Satan. And it literally means adversary. I think that's a good definition, don't you? In the New Testament, they call him Satan, but they add a word to call him devil, which means liar, accuser, and not only that, divider. And we see that happening over and over again. Think through it for me. He accuses you over and over again. You ever had a voice inside your head saying, You're worthless? You're terrible? In Zechariah, in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the prophet Zechariah also goes by Joshua. It says this, is that Satan stood next to him in front of the Lord, accusing him and accusing him over and over again. And then God says, shut up. I paraphrased. You have no power here. He divides. We see this from the very beginning, his plan working, right? Adam and Eve were divided, right? Their children, Cain and Abel, they were divided. As we go on through Genesis and their other historical literature, we see people divided over and over again. We've seen families divided, and if we aren't careful, we see churches divided. That's his job. You see that play? Listen, guys, it's just me and you talking, right? We see this playing out in our nation currently, right? This is the plan. Some of us help divide, by the way. I'll go, that's another sermon. He divides relationships. He lies. He, 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 he wants us to believe lives about ourselves, about others, and even about Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, the temptation he gave to Adam and Eve was this. Did God really say that if you eat of this fruit? Because here's Satan's objective. And we'll talk about this in this podcast tomorrow. Please check this out. 
his objective was to be like God. And his temptation for Adam and Eve was to be like God. And his temptation to Jesus Christ was to be like God. In fact, to the point where he said, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. That's his role. The lie about himself even, he wants you. Maybe not go and join satanic worshiping cult, but to be so focused on the things that are not of God that you miss him. He wants that lie to be so much a part of you. I heard a great, great, great quote yesterday, and I'm, I'm going to totally mess up exactly how it's said, but basically religion happens during the midst of quiet contemplation. And what does that mean? It means the things that you worship come to mind when you can't think of anything else. It's where you rest your brain. Ooh, that hurt, didn't it? Whew. I was cutting my grass, and I heard that, and I was like, well, Jesus, you're in the grass, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to think. The point is, even in Revelation chapter 12, verses 13, chapters 12 and 13, and, and we're not going to go there, the Bible describes Satan as a dragon, a beast with a fake fatal wound, and a prophet or a beast giving information and power. What does that sound like? Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit. He tries to even present himself as triune. All of them lies. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to have you, but you must what? Rule over it. That's the point. So, that's who he is, what he can do and what he can't do. There's more to the story. We don't have time to cover. But let's end with this. Because this is the most important part, and this is what I want, to bring, want you to bring, come to. And I want to answer this question. What has Christ done? What has Christ done? Here's the thing. Christ has taken away Satan's most valuable tool, which is unforgivable sin. That's what he's done. He's claimed victory over everything. He is God. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, <clears throat> Nicodemus comes to Christ, and he, and he asks this question. He said, uh, chapter 3, Now when the Pharisee, a man, man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we need to know where you're, that you're, we know that you're a teacher who came from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus replied, Very truly I say to you, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? Born again. Now this is important. I want you to just camp out here with me just for two seconds. You're, to identify yourself as a Christian is great. But culturally people are Christians all over the world and don't know Jesus. You're born again. What does this mean? You've moved from one life that was death to another one, which is life. Completely transformed into a child of God. You're born again. 
and that's what Christ has done. He has rescued you from what Ephesians chapter 6 talked about, the principalities and the rulers of darkness. What other places in Scripture says, the prince of the air. He's rescued you from that and placed you in a position saying, you're my child, born again. That's why baptism is so important. It doesn't save you, but it represents this being born again thing. It symbolizes that I'm new. With that being said, I love what Romans chapter 8 says. And we're going to kind of end with this and then give you a couple points of application and get out. But I thought this would be the great place to kind of put a stop to what we're dealing with this morning. And we could go on forever. But this is ultimately what Christ does, starting in verse 31. And this is going to be lengthy. And here's what I want you to do. If you've disengaged because I'm boring, I understand. But focus in right here on what we're about to read. Because this is one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful passage in Scripture. Chapter 8, this is what Christ does. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any, get this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It doesn't happen. The accuser has been vanquished, guys. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? What? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. Get, ah, I wish I had more time. Get this. He died to take the punishment that you deserve that Satan said you deserve. He did it for you. He rose from the dead to say you can't conquer sin and death, and he killed Satan by slaying him on the idea of resurrection. And now he intercedes that while you're in this spiritual battle, you ain't fighting alone. Isn't that good? All right. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, right? That is it. Yeah, that's something to clap for right there, guys. That is it. And so here's what's so beautiful about this. We struggle now. What can we do? Okay, we're going to deal with this over the next three weeks. <laughs> but I want to give you two things here that you can go ahead and put in your back pocket and start working with, okay? Number one, the object, the, your victory, get this out of your mind, is not in your abilities, strengths, or wisdom, but in Jesus. So your objective has to move toward focusing on Christ focusing on Christ. I know that sounds very simplistic, but the more you direct your attention towards Jesus day in and day out, the more you'll be able to fight these battles. Make sense? Two, we must make it a habit to engage God in his word. That, that is how Christ fought Satan in the wilderness. Every time Satan tempted him, he quoted scripture. Every time. Engage God in his word. 
We're going to give you a Bible reading plan this week, Bible.com. You can take a picture of it, Living, Living Change, Spiritual Warfare. So we're giving you assignment, and there's a whole 12,000 studies that you can engage in God's Word in every day. But you have to prepare yourself, people. In 1999, February 11th, Japan was the greatest upset in boxing history. An unknown guy named Buster Douglas stepped into the ring. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Stepped into the ring with what, who everybody knows, a guy named Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas was lost before. He was a physical specimen, but nobody gave him a shot. One of the hugest underdogs in history. Mike Tyson knew this. He was arrogant, no doubt about it. So he didn't work out hard. He was overweight. He wasn't in shape. He had watched very little film, but he believed he could be Mike Tyson knockout like he was on Nintendo. So he stepped into the ring, and after several rounds, Buster Douglas shocked the world, right? And knocked him cold. Why? It wasn't because Buster was a greater fighter. It's because Tyson wasn't prepared. Listen to me. In your fight against what happens spiritually, it's not because you can't win, it's because you don't prepare to. You hear that? It's because you don't prepare to. So my challenge to you is to prepare for victory. Focus on the Lord. Get in His Word. Some of you who are listening online or are here today don't know Christ. You've never asked Him to come in your life. You've never been born again. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to text in the phrase, I need Jesus, to the number on the screen. Or on your connect card, check the box that says, I want to know who Christ is. And begin to make those steps necessary in order to follow Jesus. For others of you, you need people in your life to help encourage you to grow in your faith. You need to get in a small group. We have small groups for every age group in this church. And you need to be engaged with people to do life with them, spiritually speaking. Y'all with me on that? So you can sign up on your connect card or check by our guest services center. We'll get you started on that but take the steps necessary to face the adversary. Know who you're fighting. And then now, for the rest of this series, we're going to talk about how to fight him. Y'all with me? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I pray that in these moments and during this time, that we would begin to really allow ourselves sit in your presence, overwhelm us with who you are and what you're doing. And I pray, God, that in everything, Lord, in how we live our life and how we focus on your word and what we do, Lord, just give us more of Jesus. Allow our lives to be so hard-pressed into seeking you that it changes us. And so Christ, in these moments, minister to our hearts. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.